What's up, Joe? What's up, everybody? For an old fogey like me, esports is something that doesn't resonate. But that doesn't mean I'm not willing to learn more about it. Today's guest, Victor Cruz, co-founder of Brandy Row Gaming, is in the business of representing esports athletes. If you are like some who are skeptical of the idea of esports athletes or the business of esports generally, I hear you. But there is no doubting that esports is one of the hottest sports properties today, and Victor is working to ensure that players get their fair share of the pie. In the process of explaining his work, Victor gives an interesting take on the business of esports generally and just why it is here to stay. So come on, old school, let's go to the new school and learn a few things as we talk esports with Victor Cruz on Sports 360. Joining me today on Sports 360 is Victor Cruz. Victor is a co-founder of Brandy Row Gaming, a company that is engaged in the representation of esports athletes. Victor, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Jeff. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on the on the show. It's it's always a pleasure to be on. Um, but doing well. How are you? How about yourself? Doing well too. Doing well. Um, you know, that's the question of the day, right? Whenever you don't, you haven't <laughs> spoken to someone in a while, you want to make sure they're doing well and they're healthy and everything. And and thank God we are on this side, um, you know, as we continue to make our way through this pandemic. How are you and your family? We're doing pretty well, holding up pretty pretty well. I mean, we've, we've kind of talked about this um, individually, but, you know, I'm a homebody to begin with. So staying at home, these stay-at-home orders are right up my alley. It gives me a good excuse to tell my wife why I can't go outside. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And, you know, for, for those who are listening, um, this is what your third time uh, on the podcast, but the first two times we were talking baseball as part of right. our Yankees Mets rivalry series that we've had. And hopefully we'll have that this year. if Baseball hopefully. returns. Um, hopefully we will have that. Um, but it's good to have you on to talk about esports. But before getting into the esports, uh, Victor, I can't, you know, now that I mention it, you are a big baseball fan big Yankees fan so how is this affecting you as a baseball fan with there being no sports generally and particularly no baseball well I mean it's it's honestly it's been tough because not only am I missing baseball and there's no baseball being played but I mean the Yankees we were looking forward to a big season um you know we signed Garrett Cole so you know, there was uh, a lot of hype going into the year. And so, you know, not only not seeing them play, but the excitement of what we would hope was going to be a successful season right from the start, it's kind of made it even worse, you know? And so um, I've been getting my fix playing. It'll be the show, but, you know, not seeing actual baseball being played is uh, is a little disappointing. And I mean, since we're on the topic of both, of both baseball and esports. You know, we'll, we'll, and we'll get to this later, but MLB has done a great job with having a, you know, kind of a small players league with MLB The Show. I mean, it's a great title. Anyone who's a baseball fan and plays video games, I definitely encourage you 
to go ahead and, and get the title and play. It's really fun. I've had it for, man, I think I've been playing for about the last five or six years. Um, and so it's nice to see some of the players actually playing online. And anyone who's familiar or not familiar with what MLB the show, the Players League is, obviously with the pandemic and everything going on, what MLB uh, decided to do and the Players Association is take one representative from each of the major league organizations and they represent their team and they play a tournament against other players. Um, so one player representing each of the, uh, you know, MLB uh, teams and they've had a tournament. I think today was actually their, their playoffs. So it's been fun because some of the conversations have been great, Jeff. If you watch on Twitch and it's all on Twitch on the, um, I believe it's EA Sports um, or MLB The Show, San Diego Studio page. Um, but seeing the players actually kind of talk and some of the behind the scenes comments that they make that you are not aware of, of a you know, Major League Baseball player comes through organically and it's been awesome to watch. So I definitely encourage everyone to check it out. And, and if you're late to it and you miss it, the great thing about Twitch is it's going to be on the channel so you can see the previous broadcast. Yeah, and it's been popular. I mean, there's been some of the uh, uh, games have been on ESPN, too. And uh, we saw it with MLB The Show. Uh, We saw it in basketball. Is that called NBA 2K, I think? Um, Where they had a tournament. um, And there's been others. Because with there being no live sports, we've had a lot of virtual sports being played now. by professional athletes so that has been a a nice touch by the leagues and by these players to continue to engage the fans um but having said that you know victor i will tell you and i've told other people this it's hard for me i just can't you know (laughs) watching watching the games i mean sometimes what i do is i will look at the highlights because of the banter that you just mentioned. Right, right. You know what I mean? And sometimes it'll be something that will be, um, you know, reported the next day. And so I can, you know, I can catch that segment. But um, overall, it's been it's been tough for me. But but you're a gamer. Um, and I want to talk yeah. about Brandy Row Gaming and, 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 and all of um, the work that you're doing um and your experience but um why don't you tell us a little bit about brandy row gaming what it is how it got started yeah so brandy row gaming is uh basically an athlete representation company uh just for esports athletes so basically video gamers um it's the brainchild of myself and 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 my partner antonio williams um we basically you know we we have between us or each of us, 20 years over over two decades of uh, traditional sports experience. Um, you know, we both worked in not only in baseball, basketball, athlete representation. And towards the end of our traditional sports business career, we kind of started seeing traditional sports entities, companies, uh, teams, owners investing in esports. And, you know, you always kind of follow the money. And we were always, I was curious, you know, representing baseball players or being in that industry, where was the money going and why? And so we started seeing, you know, the Patriots, uh, the NBA investing in esports. And what we started seeing was it kind of reminded us of the infancy of traditional sports where owners and teams 
controlled the industry, had all the leverage, and the players played for what they were told. They, they couldn't move around too much. They didn't have much leverage. And so the infancy of collective bargaining in traditional sports is kind of what we started seeing in esports because all this money was coming into the industry, but where was it going? It wasn't being funneled into the, into the pockets of the players. And so that's what really got us curious. We're like, wait a second. And really what put us over the top into studying, starting a company to help these players was the, uh, the 2K League. So this was basically, for anyone who doesn't know, it is basically a creation of this uh, online playing, you know, for N, uh, NBA 2K, this league where they were drafting players. And it wasn't drafting NBA players. It was drafting video game players, esports players who would play in this league. But they were being – they were first of all, let me back up. They were being asked to obviously make this their career. They're going to play this professionally, right, online. But they were being paid, when you looked at it, minimum wage. So that's really what got us mm. kind of not only taking an idea, but taking the idea and be like, okay, we've got to jump into this because we're seeing similarities. And especially when you're having traditional sports entities coming into this um, ecosystem – we we weren't seeing any people who have the understanding of how these traditional sports people operated. So we we felt that we could bring value and help players in in you know kind of the next wave. The next wave for us in the industry in esports is players gaining some leverage. Players you know valuing themselves correctly, seeing their their place in the industry the way it should be. Because what's happening, and sorry, I know we got, I got off into a little bit of a tangent, but what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, we are family type environments between teams and players. So players don't want to push for their value because it's a, hey, we're a family. But as you know, Jeff, being in traditional sports, usually when you peel back the curtain in those we are family environments, usually it's skewed away from the player those contracts usually side more with management and you know teams and ownership and that's what we're seeing we're seeing players who are getting paid two thousand dollars a month to play video games and there's no say you know in, in there's no structure in place and again i can't i'm not speaking across the board just kind of what we were seeing at the time um we were seeing players being paid two thousand dollars a month to play esports a lot of demands from the teams intellectual property that was not they didn't have ownership in and so we saw a need for the skill set that we possess that we could bring into the industry. And that's kind of how we started Brand New World Gaming. Um, and it was really because we were seeing a lot of similarities between the early days of sports um, now in esports. Does that make sense? Sure. And, and it makes perfect sense. And, and on that point, you know, um, Victor, you know, in the early part of even traditional sports, one of the things that I think many people, you know, would be surprised to know is how much opposition teams and leagues had to agents. Uh, it wasn't as if this whole relationship that we see now where agents right. represent players and, and negotiate on behalf of the player with the club. And that seems so natural now. But in the early stages of most of the major sports, teams would routinely tell agents, I'm not talking to you. Right. I'm not going to, I, I, I don't deal with agents. There was a, a, a an opposition 
to dealing with agents. Um, and so what we see now is something that has evolved over time. But given that esports is relatively young, um, do you and, and Antonio find any opposition or any built-in roadblocks to negotiating on behalf of your clients? Right. Great question, Jeff. And I got to tell you, and the answer is going to kind of blow your mind because there is some, some opposition, but it's not from the teams. It's from the players themselves. Hmm. We, so this goes back to what I was saying about the we are family dynamic where these players are so ingrained into, wait a second, if I do this, I'm going to make them angry. So I understand that I deserve a little bit more, but I can't ruffle the feathers. So it's taken us having conversations with players. Here's the deal. This is the way me and Antonio operate. We will talk to any player, right? We, and, and money's not an object. So for us, it's more, hey, we're here to help. And, you know, that sometimes means, hey, we'll have a conversation with a player just to see what their, you know, what their mentality is and where they want to go in their career. And, and for us, the reason we have these conversations and they don't lead anywhere is because we feel that each of those conversations will start to chip away at that. Wait a second. I'm, you know, I shouldn't be using an agent because I'm going to anger these people who are my family. So at least having these conversations and making us ourselves available kind of at no cost has helped at least plant the seed. And so that's the way we're seeing these conversations with a lot of players. But surprisingly, the players are the ones who are pushing back because they don't want to ruffle feathers. They understand that the industry is growing and they're not seeing some of that growth, but they are so scared of what having or of treating their career as a business will mean for them with these teams. Uh, the teams have been really great about, hey, once, you have, once we have a client and we you know, have to negotiate or, or you know, talk to them you know, about their business or something like that, no problem at all because these are people who understand that it's business. But the players, the players are the ones who are, who are pushing back. And I got to tell you, Jeff, I kind of joke around about it. I laugh about it, but, it, but it's kind of really sad from, a, from, you know, looking at it from the outside in because what, all this time that the players are worried about that, guess what? They're missing out on opportunities. Hearing a player tell me that they're a full-time video game esports player and they're making $2,000 a month, I mean that's that's worse than than uh, minor league players, and you know how yeah, how that's going. Yeah, yeah, it is. But but let me ask you this: because with other sports and other sports, and you you've been in the baseball business, you, you know, you spent a lot of years in the baseball business representing players, and you understand, as most agents do, that before you can start negotiating, one of the first things you do is try to determine what the player's market is. Right. Right. What is his value in the marketplace? Um, is esports at a at a point right now where there is a marketplace for salaries that has not been sort of artificially created? You know what I mean. So right. when you look to negotiate, I mean, I don't know if two thousand dollars is good or bad in the esports business. You know what I mean. But so right. how do you? Well, what's the market for you know? an esports player and i understand you know you can that that can mm -hmm. run the gamut from high to low but how do right. you establish the marketplace well that's a great question jeff and and you know it's it's kind of a tricky question because the economics are different for each genre right so for example 
you know, something that's fairly getting off the ground. So MLB The Show, I'm using this because it's baseball. MLB The Show isn't a big esports title, right? It's more, it's been played for fun. Maybe now we're starting to get a little more, you know, with the Players League and, and seeing what the potential could be. So obviously the economics of that is much, you know, $2,000 a, a month to play that, I'll take it. You know, that's right, not bad. Right. But for like a League of Legends or Overwatch or um, some of these bigger titles, uh, you know, Counter-Strike, where, you know, arenas are being filled and, you know, there's two, three million dollars for championships. Yeah, the economics, you know, are different for each title, but they're going to speak to what the value of the player is based on his skill set but also his value to his organization. So I'll give you an example, Overwatch. Overwatch is a, is a pretty big title. It's got its own league. You know, they're operating it kind of, uh, you know, with franchises and things like that. So one, you have to look at the investment of the team. If a team is investing in, in a franchise, one, they're actually taking it very serious. Now, the, the way the game is played is there's four positions, and each position has its own skill set. So understanding what each of those positions do for the team will also allow you to develop kind of what the, you know, scales are for the value of the player. And then also understanding what the, you know, for example, if there's an organization, a team that's looking to only compete in Overwatch versus another organization that's looking to compete in multiple titles, you also have to understand that because obviously the, the, the better players is more valuable to that one team who's only um, putting together a team for this one title, right? Because they have sure. to win, right? Where the other team, if their focus is in, let's say Overwatch is their third focus, then you have to understand that as well. I got to tell you what, for us, the most interesting part of this whole journey has been scouting. Because, you know, Antonio comes, comes from a basketball background, so scouting the basketball players. I come from a baseball background, scouting um, baseball players. So scouting esports, it's, it's really interesting because it's a whole different skill set. It's understanding not only performance and what the player does, but within the team, kind of what they're, they're good at. Um, you know, do they take care of themselves? That's also something that's very big and, and, and a kind of a new um, wave in the industry is player, um, you know, uh, not performance, but um, conditioning. And so, yeah. Player know, conditioning? What do you mean player well, yeah, conditioning? Right. Okay, okay, let's, let's, um, let's, get into that. let's take a time out for a second. Because I'm going to ask a question that I'm sure some people will ask too. Are we overstating it when we refer to esports players as athletes? Because now you brought up conditioning. Um, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm asking a question right. that I'm sure a lot of people have on their mind that, you know, because they see their kids playing video games in their bedroom and they don't consider Johnny to be an athlete in any sense of the word, right? right? So, so right. when we start talking about esports athletes and conditioning, what do you mean by that? Okay, so I'll give you a good example. And I was the same, and I got to tell you, I'm a parent, and I was the same way. Remember I talked about when we first started thinking about brand new role gaming was when these traditional sports um, entities started investing in the industry. At that point, I had two kids who were gamers, and I was a typical parent. Hey, you can't play video games for seven hours a day, so get off the games and go do something else. When right. I started really getting into the industry, seeing that now now kids can get scholarships 
some good schools for, to play esports, I kind of shifted my my uh, mindset as a parent. I'm like, okay, it's kind of like any other sport. You can play, but there's got to be a structure to it, and there's got to be a healthy structure. Because to answer your question, I believe these these esports athletes are athletes because it takes you know it takes reaction time, right? A lot of the things that traditional athletes are now doing are reaction training, right? Each sports athletes, some of mm-hmm. these titles are require quick reactions. Now, why is conditioning important? Think about it. This isn't like a physical sport in terms of I'm out there on the field sweaty and, you know, and, and that's, that plays a part in the conditioning and, and, and I've got to have the energy to run up and down the court. This is a, a sport that it's a very mental and it requires a lot of reaction, right? But also you're sitting in a chair. So you've got to make sure that you're properly conditioned so that your body doesn't deteriorate. That's why it's kind of an interesting dynamic because when you think about it, your, your conditioning as an esports athlete is more to preserve your, your body, to make sure that you're in, in top health. Because if you're physically in top health, you're mentally in top health, right? And having good mental health will help with your reaction time and will help you in your performance in the game. And it requires a lot of strategy. This is very fascinating as well. Even in just an MLB The Show, right? I know, I know the game of baseball. It requires so much strategy to play the game and understand what the other person is doing, not by their physical aspect, but by what they're thinking. And I'm like, I'll give you a great example. I played, I played the other day MLB The Show. And I was down one zip during the whole game. But I realized that the other player I was playing against was pitching within the strike zone. So he wasn't throwing things outside the strike zone for me to kind of flail at. So I was just patient. And I ended up, you know, getting ahead 2-1. And then I realized that as a pitcher, the other player, when he was batting, was flailing away. So for me, I knew what I could throw, what kind of pitches. And so it required a strategy, not a physical strategy, but a mental strategy. And sometimes for me, as a casual gamer, if I'm not in tip-top shape, if I, you know, went to sleep late the next morning, I'm not seeing the same type of great performance (laughs) on the video game because I'm not physically there and mentally there. So you, okay, you I get that. I do. I get that. But 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 wait a minute. People who play chess are sitting in a chair, and it's a lot of strategy. And they're called players. They're not called athletes. So what's the difference? I mean, I hear what you're saying, but isn't that isn't there a similarity to those who are playing chess, sitting in a chair for a long period of time? strategizing, thinking, reacting, and all that. Maybe not as reacting as quickly as with the uh, controller, but the mental aspect of the game is still important. So how come we don't call chess players athletes? Well, that's a, that's a great point, Jeff. So I think that's more a detriment to the chess industry <laughs> than it is. Than it is. I guess my point is you can but the chess industry hasn't done a good enough job to portray their players as athletes because, because I bet that they also have to go through, you know, they have to do conditioning if they want to be you know, <laughs> mentally, mentally prepared. Um, but anyway, so the thing yeah. is these kids are, these, and I say kids because I have kids young play, people, but these, yeah. these athletes are playing video games, you know, and the mental like, 
um, capacity that it takes is, is at a high level, but also mm-hmm. physical, it's more deterioration. You can't you sit at a, you know, at a, at a desk on a chair for eight hours a day working on your craft and eating unhealthy and expect to be at your best for a long period of time. So it's kind of sure. like baseball where we started looking at, okay, how do we maximize performance for the longest we can? Well, you got to be, you know, conditioned. And again, that's a physical sport. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, for esports athletes, we got to make sure that they're not popping, you know, Mountain Dew and eating chips all day because that's not, that's not good health. So we sure. got to keep you healthy. Um, because here's the deal. Here's the interesting dynamic about this. And it's exactly what you mentioned about chess players, where it's more of a mental strategy. So what's the first thing that goes, you know, usually as you get older, your reaction time mentally, you know, starts to go. So that's why you're starting, you know, if you look at it and you research it, esports athletes, their careers are really, really short time periods. And so um, we've got to maximize that. So not to say that, you know, this conditioning aspect of the esports industry is kind of fairly new, but it's another kind of, you know, um, tool in the tool shed to try to maximize the little time that we have as esports athletes. Does that make okay. sense? Sure. Now let's, Did I let's, convince let's, you let's, yet that they're athletes? Um, you work um, not quite, <laughs> working on but it. Working on no, it. you're working on it though. But let's let's move though to something that we I don't think we'll have any debate about, and that is the economics. Uh, a lot of money has flowed into esports, and you know we have leagues. When I say leagues, some of the you know, the NBA and other sports leagues. You mentioned the Patriots, so we have franchises doing it, uh, investing um, athletes and entertainers, Michael Jordan, Drake, others, investing into esports. Um, how do you explain that? You know the the amount of investment coming from sophisticated business people investing in esports. I think the reason a lot of people are investing is a lot of reasons why, you know, in every industry you have copycat, you know, it's like, Hey, if so-and-so is investing and they're smart, I don't want to be left behind. So you see, I think there's, there's a, a good portion of that. At the same time, you have people who are smart investing. And, and for me, here's the, here's why I think at least in the NBA, I think it's a sound investment. And, and I think I've, I've talked to different people about this over the last, you know, two years. These esports uh, championships were being held in, in arenas, right? So what NBA teams started noticing was they were renting out their arenas in the offseason because it's, it's great business for them. You know what I mean? There's no NBA season. It's another way of making money off from your arena. And so these are, these championships for esports were filling these arenas so i think the the nba teams investing is smart because now it's not just you're renting the arena to another entity now you control more of what's going on within your arena because you're an investor you have more of a stake in it and you can monetize more so for the nba i think for me not only are is it a sound investment and they're seeing a return on an investment they just saw an opportunity and that's why they got into it. Now, um, why people like the Patriots owner, um, Bob Kraft is, is investing. That's a good, that's a good uh, question. I think it's another, you know, um, area that, that is a growth area in mainstream and you're going to see marketing dollars. And, and even with this pandemic, I think, you know, 
and we'll get this, to this a little bit later, but with the pandemic, you're starting to see a lot of brands and companies that weren't necessarily getting into esports and putting their marketing dollars into it. Now they're going to start considering it because they're seeing the value of it. And, and a lot of it is about content as well. And I love Gary Vaynerchuk and he always talks about following where the attention is at. And, you know, if you're seeing, you know, Amazon who owns uh, Twitch or Microsoft who owns Mixer, the, you know, where, where they're broadcasting all these, uh, you know, all this content, um, YouTube and Facebook, they're getting into, into gaming as well. They are into gaming. Um, if you're seeing content and tons of content being produced, that's where the attention is going and you have large audiences. And so as a, as a brand, as a marketing, you know, director, I'm like, okay, well, I want my return on investment to be as best as it can. Where's the attention going? So if I, if I can, if I can reach 5 million viewers to let's say uh, ninjas channel on mixer, I'd rather spend my money there. Cause I know what his numbers are. I know I'm going to get that, you know, 18, uh, you know, what, 18 to 32 demographic that's watching esports. So um, I guess a long-winded answer, but... So, but, but, but where's the money going, right? Because it's not necessarily filtering down to players at this point, right? Number one. Uh, the other thing is to, you know, and you and I talked about this offline. We see these high valuations for these franchises or teams and yet uh, you know what are those based upon given that in many ways i think the industry is still trying to find its way i I don't believe for example it seems to me that there are some who believe in the league format you know Mm -hmm. some you know some teams that are uh, in esports want to form traditional leagues like we see in the other you know sports and there are other people in the industry who aren't so fond of that idea. So it seems to me that there's a lot still to be um, established and settled here in esports. So, you know, when I see the money going in, when I see the valuations of these teams escalating uh, and even seeing some players being paid, it just seems to me from an, as an outsider looking in, what is it based on? Yeah, I think the best way to equate it is when you're investing in startups, you're not really investing kind of in what they've, you know, what they're doing. You're you're investing in you believe in the vision. And so I think that's a good like analogy. Think about all these and here's the thing, a lot of these comp- teams have been in business for a while. So I don't want to say that they're startups, but I think the investment part from outside the industry is seeing it like investing in a startup. We see the potential we see the growth in this because as esports gets more and more mainstream, it draws attention and attention equals dollars in viewers and in spectators and to advertisers and in growth of the industry. So, so as an investor, that's how I would see it. I'm like, okay, you put a value on it. What's your valuation based on? And I think a lot of it is, is projection. We're projecting this is what's going to happen. And, and that's what startups do. That's how you pitch because you haven't really done anything. So in esports, it's unique because you're projecting, but at the same time, you're like, look, my team won the League of Legends championship. Okay, so there's a, history, a little bit of a history there to at least give me a little bit of comfort in that projection. And so 
obviously also you'll have some teams that have good salesmen as the owner. Mm-hmm. So if you could sell me on your vision, then great. I'll give you, and we talked about this a little bit offline, 100 Thieves. 100 Thieves does a great job of building themselves as a brand, as opposed to focus on their individual players, at least in my mind, right? That's my opinion. So if I am an investor potentially at 100 Thieves, and, they, and they've done such a great job of selling me of their vision of them as a brand, and I'm seeing their merchandise sales go through the roof and the interest, the attention to what 100 Thieves is, not necessarily tied to their players, then that's great. And I'm like, okay, well, if that's what I value as an investor, then I'm going to invest in this company and this, in this team because I believe in their vision. And what I like about it, which is kind of when you mentioned it sounded like a little bit negative because it's very fractured and different views on leagues versus, you know, not using the league structure. I think that's great. Actually, that's a positive because there's a little bit of segments for everyone. And if you as an investor want a little more cost certainty, then you side with the teams that want to be involved in the, in the league structure because league structure is what a little more of a cost certainty because what they're doing with the leagues is you have your home bases. You're not traveling all over the world to play this game and high cost. You're, you know, if you've got a franchise for a league in LA, then you're going to be in LA for the most part and traveling to these certain, you know, we already know where you're traveling to, tr- to play. So that's cost certainty and the structure for, for, you know, traditional sports investors makes sense because we come from leagues. So, you know, the Patriots investing, and I don't know, I, I'm not speaking on their specific investments, but just as an example, the Patriots investing in a league format on a, or a team that's, you know, in a league format makes sense because they come from a league. They understand how a franchise within a bigger league works and they can understand that. And their valuation plays into exactly what um, these teams are doing. So does sure. that, that make sense? I think it's actually yeah, positive. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and um, my question wasn't um, intended to be negative. It was really to talk about what, you know, appears to be, you know, an industry that's still forming. And I, I don't think right. anybody could yeah. debate that, you know what I mean, that it's still in its formation stages. Um, one of the things, Victor, that I find, interesting as we would you know going back to this whole discussion that we had on athletes and training is that there have been some teams and correct me if i'm wrong here but i believe there have been some teams that have actually built training facilities and i'm talking about state-of-the-art tens of millions of dollars type of structures um where i think they do some training but then they'll also can hold events there as well and others have built their own arenas and, and 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 venues to hold these events and so the this is you know there's some infrastructure being established right. here no right no no you're right and and i love seeing that because you know some of these ideas are great ideas like hey let's give it a try we think you know, I'm not speaking for the teams, but just kind of what the thought process is. We think that focusing on this and creating an infrastructure for it, whether it's training or whatever, like, you know, like I said, 100 Thieves is, is going with a brand and they're creating more of an experience for their fans. Um, and I think it's great that they're investing in it because it's going to be a copycat. So whenever there's success, others are going to follow. And for me, from an athlete perspective and, and athlete advocacy and representation, if these teams that are investing in conditioning and, you know, working on making their players physically better and more prepared, 
if these teams start winning and becoming, you know, top level teams, then that's great because it proves it's kind of like they're, they're the test subjects. It proves that that's, you know, that that's successful, that focusing on conditioning and performance and, you know, healthy eating and, you know, and, and mental capacity um, are necessary, then it's, the proof is in the pudding. And so for us, that's, that's great. And even, even the hundred thieves example, if, you know, it builds them up and it, it works with what they're trying to accomplish, then great. There's going to be other teams that want to go in that model. And it just creates variety and variety is always good. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. I think, you know, most of us that come from traditional sports, we think, well, it should be this way. Well, you got to leave yourself open enough and flexible enough to see what works in different industries, like, you know, um, and could be successful. Sure. Now, Along that line, right, the pandemic shut down traditional sports along with industries across the board, cultural events, so many things. And for esports, you know, I think perhaps an overly simplistic view would be this has created more of an opportunity for esports. And I'm not saying that it hasn't, and I'm going to ask you to speak to that. But on the other hand, it's not as if esports itself <clears throat> was not endeavoring and actually engaged in having spectator events it, itself, right? So, you know, to to that extent, esports has been affected just as everyone else has. So it's sort of, you know, on the one hand, yeah, there may be some opportunity because playing remotely and playing, you know, um, and having people tune in from afar is something that's sort of organic to the to the sport, but at the same time, there was this traditional move into venues and having fans on site and all the rest of it. And on that score, uh, esports is suffering as well. So, how do you view the way the pandemic is affecting esports when you take all of that into account? Well, I got to be honest, I think, Jeff, everything that's happened, you know, because of the pandemic, um, aside from the negative, which obviously championships getting canceled or in-person stuff, but everything after that has been positive. And here's why, because esports already had a kind of an infrastructure in place, right? A lot of these um, players and teams had a following online. I mean, Twitch, you know, Mixer, YouTube gaming, Facebook gaming. The content was already there. The attention was already there. So this has drawn those same fans to continue, you know, consuming that content online. And it, and, it, and it creates a higher value to that content. Because if this is the only content that the, your fans are getting, then there's a value increase in that because it's more valuable to the fan. And also, you know, for you, you've got to do a better job of putting out their great content because this is the only way that they're absorbing it. But what I love about it is now it's opening eyes to esports. I'm not worried about the fans of esports who were already fans. What I love about this pandemic, you know, result, not the pandemic, I don't love the pandemic mm-hmm. after sure, the result, of is that it's drawing people like yourself. You're a little more curious about it now because what did, what did traditional sports do? when they can't, you know, have their seasons, they're following the content, right? And they need content. 
So what's a great way of putting out their content? If you have a title, great. Oh, we already have it. will be the show, NBA 2K or NASCAR. Let's get our players to play and we'll put it online. That's not anything new for the esports world. So you guys are just jumping on board. But what's great about it is, is that a fan like yourself who might watch a little bit of content for the MLB The Show, now you're curious. Maybe next time around, you might explore a little bit on Twitch. What are the different channels? You know what I mean? So it's opening eyes to new fans, which is great. And I'll give you an example. I mean, obviously I'm in esports, but assume I wasn't, right? I play MLB The Show. I love the game. I would have never thought about going to see this in an, you know, in an arena or something. But now after the MLB Players League, I'm like, well, this is actually pretty cool. Would I go somewhere during the All-Star break? And this is an idea. MLB, hopefully they can steal it. During the All-Star break, maybe next year, <laughs> having players play a tournament during the three, four days of the All-Star break. Now, would I go to a hall in a, in a um, convention center to watch this? Well, yeah, now I might because I understand how the game is played. I'd love to see, and I love the banter that me and you've talked about of players playing their game, but virtually, but some of the stuff that they talk about is kind of opening the curtain to behind the scenes of the actual game of baseball. So I might actually pay to go see that. And now that is all positive for esports because now I'm an average fan who's being exposed to it. Now it's bringing marketers who hopefully are following the attention right? So not only is it creating such a bigger fan base, it's bringing in new eyes, it's bringing in new companies. Now, what are, what are companies doing? Like Pepsi, you know, just tossing some out there, Pepsi, Coke, you know, whatever, um, uh, you know, these brands, they can't, what, what are they producing? Commercials? I mean, they can't do activations anywhere. So they're like, okay, well, esports is going on. Now it brings companies that weren't necessarily investing some of their marketing dollars into esports, into esports. So for me, this is all positive because it's just bringing more attention and pushing it out there even more mainstream. Right. And look, you know, for it's like any sport, right? It, you're going to have your fans and you're going to have other people who aren't interested. As big as the NFL is, I know plenty of people who do not like American football. They don't watch it. Um, you know, I know, you know, and that goes for all, all sports. I know people who love NBA, I mean, who love NCAA basketball, but won't watch NBA basketball. And so I think for esports, you know, you're going to have some who love it, who are passionate about it, and you have others who don't get it and, and so on. But I do hear what you're saying, that this is an opportunity to, to expand um, that base and perhaps bring in some more fans to the sport. Right. Um, hey, listen, before I let you go, I have a question I need to ask you. Yeah. Um, you know, I had Antonio on the show and he talked about, um, we were talking about the NBA and the potential return of the NBA and things of that sort. And, um, you know, found out recently that, you know, you two guys are in business together. Both of you are gamers. Um, I have you on. I didn't ask him that, but I'll ask you, but I will ask him. So be careful of your answer. When you guys game, okay, who who who's who comes out on top? Oh, that's a good question. I got to be honest. We actually haven't played for the same reasons that you – we haven't played in a while. 
for the same reasons that you talked about. Antonio's a basketball guy. I stink at NBA 2K, and I'm a baseball guy. And he's, he, he's probably the same way on the other end. Um, and so, to be honest, what we do is we, we game, but we game not with each other. <laughs> there okay. isn't a title yet that we, that we kind of can both play on and uh and enjoy ourselves but like for example after this call we'll probably me and him will probably get on twitch and just talk about mlb the show the the players league yeah in terms of gaming probably not something that we do with each other because of our different you know skill set <laughs> that's all right well that's a you, good answer let, yeah let me tell you a nice funny story um that I think a lot of people would appreciate. So when I worked in athlete representation, you know, one of the players at the company I worked for represented was Jose Fernandez. Remember the pitcher with the Miami Marlins? Sure. Yeah. So one of the, one of my best experiences, not only in traditional sports, but now with esports, was, I remember going to Jose's house in Miami and he was a very big fan of MLB the show. And it was this one year where he was on the cover. He used to love playing as himself. And I remember sitting at the at his the foot of his bed, like two kids playing MLB the show on PlayStation 4 with this major league pitcher mm. who was playing as himself. I was playing the Yankees. And that was such a surreal experience. But that right there is kind of how the traditional sports world and the esports world, you know, can come together because a lot of athletes play. It's just they've never really seen kind of a way of bridging the two together and i think you know with the pandemic we were seeing that but anyways that was a great experience and just finish on that experience of jose fernandez well look um this is there's a lot more to talk about i think as we you know as things resume hopefully sooner than later and we can get back into doing some of the things that we have been doing with our lives and with sports um, I'm sure, you know, the stories with esports will continue to develop. And as they do, um, Victor, you know, I would love to have you back to talk about some of the latest developments on that score. But I do appreciate you taking the time today to talk about um, esports, talk about what you're doing in the space and just sharing your knowledge and passion for it. So thanks for coming on to do that today. Oh, no worries. My pleasure, Jeff. 